Hi there, with Megan Thompson with Megan Thompson Coaching. Today we are going to cover your child's meltdown cycle during the end of school year, year transition. So this show is going to be short because I know that parents are uh, very busy at the end of the school year, so I'm sure that that's true for you right now. And it's also true that we're gonna be busting some myths today regarding that meltdown cycle and what you need to be focusing on and how you can break out of it for your sensitive child, even when you know that transitions are coming. Hello and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. First things first, uh, supporting your highly sensitive child during transitions is meant to look different from a schedule standpoint, right? When, uh, when your child is hitting, kicking, screaming, melting down, and you have all of the things that are happening on their schedule and of testing and of school year, maybe they're moving from one school to the next, uh, all, all of that, right? That's a transition. Things are changing. Summer's happening, right? And so as a parent, when your child is losing their mind on a, on a daily, multiple times a day basis or multiple times a week basis, uh, you might start to think, well, this is just due to the calendar, right? This is just due to the, the, the changes of season. My child might have uh, been just fine. You might've been thinking that your, your sensitive child isn't ha wasn't having meltdowns uh, two weeks from, from today, earlier prior to today. Um, the last few months have been hard and it might, you might be having this um, possible aha moment that it could be related to the school set setting and the end of the school year. And I think it's important for us to cover a few things that are relevant to this concept, this wondering that you might be having, and then bust some myths related to it as well. So first things first, uh, myth number one, my sensitive kids behavior is manipulative, right? Or intentionally difficult. So we all know that when your child is struggling with their big emotions and that leads to big behaviors, uh, well, I should say we all need to know that your child is not doing this behavior on purpose. They are not trying to inflict harm on, uh, on you if they are engaging in physical aggression. They are not trying to make your life miserable or retaliate with um, the frustration that they're experiencing or the worries that they're having based on the stressors that they're experiencing at school. They're not trying to take out their anger on somebody on purpose. This is not developmentally possible for your sensitive child to be conniving, manipulative, or intentionally difficult. And that is true for those of you who are parenting a teenager. So uh, the, the process of the brain, when we look at child development and what's required of the highly sensitive child brain and any child brain, is to recognize that the frontal lobe, which is the, the part of the brain close to 
the forehead here and I'm going to use my brain if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook or any other place where we have video our blog our blog uh, you see this green section here this is a slice of the brain right I use this a lot in our coaching calls um, to explain neuroscience okay child development this part of the brain front of the brain right okay this is right where your child is thinking um, about cause and effect frontal lobe right one plus one cause you know this cause plus um, this cause equals two effect right this part of the brain not math I'm not asking you to tell me that I'm not trying to tell you that the frontal lobe is, is where math is, is happening in the brain what I'm talking about is the understanding that if I do this that leads to this consequence and this component of the brain is not fully developed that means that it exists right it's there uh, but there's not a lot of neural pathways um, to for the for the child to be using that part of the brain for that part of the brain to have its fully functioning uh, capacity and as a result what that means is that your child is not able to think ahead plan connivingly ahead in order to change your behavior based on their behavior that's a that's a concept of cause and effect in a way that would be manipulative right and the experience that you're having is in fact not manipulation but rather influence if you yourself are not managing your emotional mindset anybody can influence you towards feeling negative emotion if you don't have your own positive emotion and negative emotion regulation skills and so what happens is you as a parent will start to blame your child for the way that you're feeling and that is inappropriate right um, it's also ineffective right it doesn't serve you uh, but it's inappropriate in the sense that it is not your child's job to make you feel better. It's not anyone's job to make you feel anyone anything. And in fact, no one makes you feel anything. An experience happens and you feel a feeling of that based on an expectation you have that may or may not have been met. Right? So this was mind-blowing to me in my internship, my clinical internship when I was... Uh, in grad school learning how to be a therapist and I was uh, working with teenagers and I brought to my supervisor um, an experience where I was working very hard to fix this child that I was working with and again obviously I've been working in the mental health field for over 14 years post master so I can analyze myself and and obviously observe what I was trying to do was to make this teenager do what I wanted them to do because I knew what was best. I knew that they were skipping class and it wasn't going to work well for them long term. And I felt obligated to change them. Okay. Therapy 101, right? It's not your job to change the client. It's your job to help the client feel like they want to change and then decide to change and then figure out how to change themselves. All right. So this is, I want to pin that concept for later um uh, maybe for an even <laughs> different show but we'll we'll probably probably try and address that later as well but what i think is important for us to focus on here is the fact that if you as a parent are trying to change your child right away 
you're seeing their behavior as manipulative, you get frustrated, you automatically believe that your child is in control of you, you know that that's not appropriate, nor do you something that you want. So then you lash out by reacting, right? And when you react, you blame your child for your emotional state. And when that happens, you put your child in charge of you. And you feel frustrated and inadequate as a parent. Okay, so we don't need that. And I don't need you to go through years and years of therapy to make that revelation. It's something that you can learn just by what we call uh, psychoeducation in the mental health field. But here I'm speaking to you as a mental health consultant and a parent coach. And we can walk through that process now just to uh, address some of these myths, right? Your experience, your internal emotional experience is based on uh, the frustration of an unmet expectation. All conflict is unmet expectation. All right. It stems from unmet expectation. So if you have an expectation that your child will follow through on something that you ask of them that you feel like is very simple, and then your child doesn't do that, then you will experience inner conflict. And if you don't know how to manage your emotions around that frustration, aggravation, worry, whatever, then you will exude that inner conflict towards somebody else. You will blame it on the person whom you're interacting with, thinking that they're the cause. This is what I did when I was a brand new beginner therapist, you know, 20 some odd years old and uh, in grad school. And I came to my, my supervisor and I said, oh boy, she really makes me mad. And I was saying this in a safe space, right? I mean, in therapy, when you're, when you're learning to become a therapist, um, your supervisor, you are meant to share your emotions with your supervisor. This might feel inappropriate if you are a, um, you know, an engineering <laughs> professional or a, um, a computer science professional or an accountant. You don't talk about that kind of stuff with your boss, right? But when you're learning how to become a therapist, you do. Okay, so this is me back in the day saying, oh, she really makes me mad. We just talked about this last week, right? And it was a flippant converse, uh, comment. I wasn't, um, you know, up late at night, uh, you know, not able to sleep, but it was a comment. And my supervisor immediately stopped me right then and there and said, no one makes you feel anything. And I put myself in that position often when I hear parents say, my kid really drives me crazy. My kid really, you know, bothers me. And we shift out of that dynamic, what happens is an experience that you start to feel empowered. So when you feel empowered as a parent, you can lead, right? Because you feel like something different than what you're seeing right now is possible. And it's a lot easier to lead from a sense of possibility than it is from a sense of frustration and feeling like your hands are tied, isn't it? And so when we look at breaking out of this pattern, we have to observe, it's not, it doesn't take you 10 years to make this revelation, nor do you need a degree in uh, in, in a master's in, in mental health to, to address this with your children. Okay. So what's great is you can make these shifts with, uh, with support in your own home. When, when you hear what we have to say, when you follow this, this type of work and uh, you acknowledge that your child is not your puppeteer, right? Nobody, your, your child is an Oz. So you have to double down on that assumption that your child is not in charge of you. And as a result, that means that you are in charge of you. You are the only one who can be in charge of your emotions. 
And so therefore, any sort of judgments that you have about an experience you have related to an emotion you have is yours and yours alone to shift or to own or to decide on, all right? Um, this is really important to, to pay attention to because the concept of judgments um, isn't always taught in the mental health world. This is something that I learned in a specialty studying dialectical behavior therapy that when we judge um, certain circumstances and we judge our experiences and we meet that uh, experience with judgment, then we end up deciding our actions based on that judgment and that may or may not serve us. That action may or may not serve us, right? And so um, what when you apply that as an adult, it's it feels impactful, right? Because adults are thinking beings. Children are feeling beings. Um, and I only say adults are thinking beings because we're basically trained to not feel uh, unless we start to remember that we're actually feeling beings <laughs> uh, through personal development work and, and um, all this retraining of the, the mind and the heart and the soul. And so as an adult, we're generally more often uh, focused on logical rules and doing things that we always do and, and um, keeping our expectations and trying to meet our own expectations by uh, logic. And, and so when something either feels unexpected or feels illogical or feels different than usual, we tend to judge it. We tend to judge it. And uh, if we don't have the ability to manage our emotions, then we will typically judge a new situation as dangerous, wrong, or um, something that, that you just wanna stay away from. So you'll, you'll judge it as not just wrong, but you may shame the other person. If you don't understand a situation, you may go straight to shame. So I'm talking about you know any sort of policies, frustrations, aggravations that you have in your life and unmet uh, expectations there. I'm not talking about judging people who hurt other people on purpose, right? Uh, that would be something that I wouldn't blame you for judging. Um, though <clears throat> what we're talking about here is breaking out of that pattern for children. And your child is not hurting other people on purpose, right? So your kid's emotional dysregulation is a result of their inability to manage distress. They don't know how to break out of this pattern. Okay. And so when your child experiences such intense emotions and, and, uh, they don't know how to regulate or decrease that, right? Even Steven, make it even Steven and, and bring it down, take it down 10 notches. They will engage in ineffective, unsafe behaviors. That'll either be implosion, calling themselves the worst, calling you the worst, which is implosion. That is not, um, uh, that is not towards their survival. It is the antithesis of their survival to damage a relationship with a parent. So therefore it is self-harmful, self-destructive behavior. And then also um, external, right? E explosion, implosion towards myself or towards my parent because my parent cares for myself or explosion towards other people, which would be more uh, aggression is what I'm talking about. External aggression, internal talking poorly about yourself even thinking that life would be better off without you or thinking that um, nobody loves you and emotionally rejecting your parents. And so when, and closing yourself off, okay? Um, again, that is a, uh, that is not a self-preservationist act. That is actually self-destructive. Children need their parents to care for them, to provide food, water, shelter, as well as obviously emotional development skills and um, 
help foster their their dreams, right? So if your child is engaging in this type of language, like you hate me, I don't love you, I hate you, that kind of stuff, um, those those that type of language that is self-destructive. It's very important to take very seriously. So we look at this when your child is exhibiting these behaviors during the transition of school, you might think that that's the cause, right? Oh, you know what? We just need to ride it out till the end, till summer, and uh, this will all settle out, okay? And this brings me to myth number two, okay? Uh, resilience is resilience. So myth number two is that you need to keep the same schedule to avoid the meltdowns. No, you don't. Resilience is resilience is resilience is resilience. If your child is resilient, they will be resilient in all avenues of life. They may experience stress or strife. They may fall back into an old pattern for a couple of weeks or so, but they will not struggle with a sense of incapability for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on end and go so far into a pit of despair that they quit, right? So I'm not talking about um, a situation. We just had a, we just had a, a client who was celebrating last year. She came through boot camp. Her name's Tanya. She came through boot camp, and which is our program for parents of highly sensitive kids who need to break out of the meltdown cycle. And they do this in as little as eight weeks. And uh, this mama came in, single parent, uh, was just uh, you know lovingly I, I call a Nagasaurus Rex. <laughs> she just could not get her preteen to get out of bed. Right? It was it was it was a lot. And so there was so much going on uh, with this dynamic and she was able to break out of that pattern. Within a couple of weeks of our, of our work together, her daughter was taking ownership, her daughter was falling through, going to school, et cetera, right? Easy peasy with a process. Uh, what's important to understand is that that skill comes from a sense of capability and self-concept when you're led by your parent who helps you feel heard and understood. And so, we, you know, we helped Tanya do this. She was able to do this. A year later, her daughter was significantly bullied and ostracized. And um, this is because the, the bullies were asking her daughter to admit to a thing she didn't do and just apologize for it. And her daughter stood her ground. Now, if we're looking at emotional health and we're looking at school transitions, we're looking at school chaos, we're also talking about peer chaos, right? This is why this is relevant. This, all this stuff was happening at school. And she was being judged by her peers and uh, her daughter decided to stand up to these dear friends of hers who were putting her in a corner to have to apologize for something she didn't do. And she stood her ground. She, she said, no, I'm not going to apologize for something that I didn't do. And, and if that means that you're not going to be my friend anymore and you're going to, which happened. And they told, you know, they, they spread rumors and, and they did all of this um, social ostracization behavior. And uh, this went on for weeks. And so her daughter did fall into a, a few weeks of this pattern of not wanting to go to school. And yet she still went, right? She still was able to muscle up, follow through, talk to her mom about the problem. And uh, it would be natural to want to avoid a situation where the whole school hates you, right? Like this is, I mean, this, we're talking middle school here. <laughs> like this is hard. And that's the, that's the experience her daughter was, was uh, having in her mind, was that the whole school is against me. And it's, it, she was able to navigate, find new friends, right? And then also forgive the, the 
other children who were uh, who eventually asked um, for that for her to accept their apology because she, not only was she um, did Tanya raise a daughter with integrity, she also uh, supported her daughter in noticing that she can handle anything, even if it's hard, even if she wants to escape it, even if she wants to run away. So resilience is resilience is resilience is resilience. Your child is going to experience life, whether you like it or not. And so you can't think that life is the cause for your child's lack of resilience, right? So it's really important to understand that when life shifts, that's a vulnerability, right? This is the thing that might impact your child's mood. But if your child is not able to find a way around it, pivot and move around the problem, then that is a lack of resilience. Your child needs that skill, okay? Myth number three, this will close this out today because I did promise you that I would be quick on today's show, all right? Um, that myth number three is that you need to just hold your breath until the end of the school year and vacation will be better. <laughs> now, I, I'm talking about this from two simple angles, right? Uh, when you are a parent waiting for your child to grow out of this skill uh, and blaming the environment, two things are happening. Myth number two, right? Which is that you have to keep everything regimented and you've got to keep everything under control and the school, school schedule is messed up in this, so that's why my kid's freaking out, right? Or, oh, this too shall pass and my kid will be fine and it, it's, we're gonna grow out of it and, and um, everything will be fine when, when the routine goes back to normal. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not in a regular routine in summer, so uh, neither is your sensitive child, right? Camps, right? <laughs> I mean, how many of you are very, very aware that when you sign your kid up for camps or they're going in and out of friends or they're trying to, to get into a summer job, that the experience of needing some time to warm up uh, to an event if, if, or, an or, or uh, a new um, circumstance, a new, new um, community thing that your kid's getting into. <laughs> I'm speaking with a lot of specificity here because it could be all kinds of things, right? Summer pool, summer camp, uh, summer job grandma's house, right? Like whatever it is that you need for your childcare, set up a uh, regular old, uh, you know, routine daycare over the summer, whatever, right? And um, when, you're, when you're thinking about needing to hold your breath and wait till summer's over, uh, the change in routine you're experiencing in school right now that you're trying to hold your breath from is going to happen in a new setting. You just won't have the schoolwork associated with it. Right? But that doesn't mean that the, the one of the vulnerabilities, which is the change of routine, isn't going to be there because your kid's going to have lots of changes of routine to include needing to hold themselves accountable. If you're raising a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, right, and you're watching this show or listening here, then the conversation is around what the heck is my kid going to do with their time? Because the transition into boredom is very real possibility. And your child needs to be able to tolerate boredom feel boredom, be fully capable of managing boredom, and move on from boredom enough to pick an activity, give or take all within under an hour, because the rest of the day, they're gonna to need to do something more than just binge watch Netflix all summer, right? Or play video games all summer, or lounge on the couch and whine, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored, right? And, and poke you in your uh, work from home office. So there needs to be a much bigger capacity for your child to experience that disappointment or unmet expectation and move on from it. And that doesn't change whether your child's in school or it's summertime. Um, so 
you don't want to raise your child with the um, with the with the you know work until the weekend mentality, right? If you're in a job that you wait till Friday to to enjoy, uh, then that's a pattern that you've experienced in your life. Maybe um, either working too hard or not working in your purpose or whatever, uh, where you're waiting and holding your breath to the weekend. But that same pattern that your brain is telling you you have to do because of you know it being habituated in uh, in your work week is then being replicated in your relationship with your child's skill sets and what your child is capable of if you're holding yourself, uh, holding your breath until summer to either A, deal with it, or B, assuming that, the, that you'll get a break from these meltdowns and, and a break from this, this, these major behaviors. And that's the wrong message that, to lead your kids with, right? You want your child to be able to tolerate stress and change. Highly sensitive kids are here on this earth to say, they are, they are 20% of the population um, this isn't an anomaly or a, or a biological flaw, right? So your child needs to be able to tolerate change now uh, rather than just wait, right? Because that, that, that would be quite a miserable life to just keep on um, working uh, for the weekend, right? You, we, want our, we want better for our children and, and we want our children to be able to not only do hard things at work, right? But also find passion that sets them up successfully financially as well as from a place of feeling fulfilled those two things can be true at the same time and, and so uh, if if you've needed to make significant work sacrifices or or career trajectory sacrifices in order to provide for your family we all want better for our for our children if you haven't found that way to to meet both needs purpose fulfillment and career yet um, that's okay you can get there and it's also true that we don't want to raise our children with the mediocrity as the expectation, right? And I'm, I'm saying that through love and care, but you probably tell this to yourself, you know what, I just need to, um, you know, coast for the next couple of years until I can retire and then do, uh, do what I really love. So um, this is really important. We want to be, we want to be raising our children to stretch for more and dream big and, and achieve in all avenues of their life and live fulfilling at fulfilling lives in all avenues of their life so that they do the hard thing, right? If they're an artist, they then are able to promote themselves and do tours and um, pitch ideas so that they get commissions, right? It's not just the, to be financially successful, you need to be able to do hard work around stuff you don't want, like manage your books and do all that kind of stuff, but make sure rent gets, gets paid on time, right? Um, and you can do that while doing something that you love. It doesn't matter. Um, uh, you can be successful at anything. So this is the message that we want our kids to have. So we can't be leading our children with the expectation that eventually they'll figure it out on their own. Highly sensitive children learn through parents, through the parent-child relationship. You teach the direct skill. And this goes back to what I was talking about earlier. And again, I said I would make this quick, but boy, we are already at 26 minutes today. So what I think I'm gonna do is make a part two, okay? Um, so yeah, <laughs> here we have it, folks. Um, part one, right now, is um, your action step at the, at the end of today's show is to go ahead and watch our masterclass if you haven't. If you haven't already um, uh, jumped into our Facebook group, do, do that, right? Um, start to observe for yourself uh, where your emotional uh, struggle is and uh, what conclusions you're jumping to. 
um, when you're parenting your sensitive kid. You got to get out of your own way. And then next week we're going to talk about uh, what works, what doesn't work to help your child get out of out of their way. Um, you may have heard our our process here. If you haven't, definitely go ahead and uh, register for our free masterclass, MeganThompsonCoaching.com backslash five steps. If you're parenting a teen who's more stuck in isolation and overwhelm, MeganThompsonCoaching.com backslash five steps underscore teen, T-E-E-N. And then you will be able to learn more about the shifts that you need to make in your home to break out of these um, mental blocks, to break out of the patterns that you're in, uh, to to support your child in breaking out of the meltdown cycle. And that is a you-directed thing, not a uh, child-directed thing or a professional-directed thing, some other professional. So um, uh, you you need to be the one who, who helps your child break out of that. So go ahead and learn more about that. And uh, I'll talk to you on the next show. We'll go for part two. Thanks for joining me for this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in hearing more about how to eliminate the meltdown cycle, I invite you to check out our free masterclass where we cover the five steps our clients use to eliminate the daily meltdowns. You can register for the next training at meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash five steps. That's the number five S-T-E-P-S meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash five steps. Have a great day.